Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about four rhythms that help you reduce stress and anxiety and take charge of your emotional health. Rest, restore, connect, create. These ideas come from Rebecca's best-selling book, Rhythms of Renewal, trading stress and anxiety for a life of peace and purpose. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's live in rhythm. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Gabe. And feels like summer's here. It is. I know. I think when summer hits this year, it's like you feel like you've kind of been having summer. At least the kids have been home for two months. We had a two-month ramp up. It's not quite the way summer's supposed to feel. I know when our our kids just finished school and they were a little disappointed that we didn't do like a typical celebration for the last day of school. It was so anticlimactic. It was like, yeah, I turned in my Google homework and... (laughs) I think I'm done. Yeah. I'm like, I hope my grade's where I thought it was going to be. And, and then we're all checking in all weekend. And like, when do we when do we actually celebrate? So we've got Cade and Joy that are both graduates. Cade's is delayed, I guess, in person till July. Yeah, they're, so. they're hoping he can walk, but he gets to do a video this week, which that's going to be fun Yes, for his, his graduation. Yes. And I know there's so many people listening who have friends and family members who are going through this too. And it's it just stinks. Surreal. I mean, it's just, I know. it's too bad because these kids... I mean, I think of all the kids who had senior trips that they couldn't do and Mm -hmm. just such a tough time. And I know for many of you, there's a lot of other things going on that that feel difficult. It's hard to recognize all the different things, but that's one of them that you think about during the season. I remember driving Joy by her school and I had ordered her a cap and gown for her graduation for kindergarten. And they had a drive-through where the teacher could stand outside the window and talk to her and... um, I said, would you be okay if I put her cap and gown on real quick and take a very distant photo of <laughs> you, you standing behind her with joy in the door? And <laughs> she was so sweet to do it because everyone remembers our kindergarten teacher. And I basically choked back tears the whole way home. And it was so sweet and joyful and joy didn't even know what she missed. But I just remember all of us at our kindergarten graduation. Like it was such a big deal. Yeah. It's like a rite of passage. Like I made it through my ABCs and counting and right. And you you don't get those moments back yeah. but you do still try to, i mean we're still working through like doing yes. a celebration yes. for kate and joy making it special i know we have a lot of friends just this last weekend part of a wedding that right you know took place at our home mm-hmm. because this family could only have you know 10 people coming each family member so they're having to do things completely right. different but in some ways it's feeling so much more personalized right. it's less formal it's less what you imagined but there's something still special in it there is and so if you're sad about the loss of those celebrations, we we understand. And, and for kids, too, I, it feels bad to say that it stinks, but it does. I think part of it's just owning it and then also going kudos to those who have been so creative, like the amount of balloon parades we've had around our town of graduations for every high school and honking. I just, I love the creativity of it all. And I know each city is finding their own version of that because to me, it just shows the resilience of the human heart is like, we are not going to just sit inside. We are still going to celebrate like milestones, massive milestones for people. And this, the resilience, I would say of, of people. And I think that's been the thing that a virus can't quite count on is like, how resilient are the people going to be? And I think we're seeing a resilience in people that even though it's been a couple months or more, they're realizing, look, I'm still here. I'm healthy. I'm coming back out of this. I'm going to spend my summer. 
finding creative ways to enjoy myself. I'm going to find a way to get together Mm -hmm. with friends. Mm -hmm. And they're just getting more creative about how we do it. I have loved watching people on Instagram, like rent RVs. I keep trying to get Gabe to do this. Yeah, I don't think that's in my future. (laughs) I I think it might be. (laughs) You just don't know it yet, Gabe. Yeah. No, we've had that conversation. Marriage relationship works. Yeah, I'll just all of a sudden pull up in the driveway. Honk, honk, we're going. But it's true. I, it's like that's the third time you said honk today. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Such guys. a weird word. It's not. But anyway, it sounds like a honk sounds. Yeah, honk. It sounds like. Yeah. No, that's a tractor trailer. No, <laughs> no. But seriously, Sorry, the other day in Franklin, there was a parade where every SUV lined up and down Maine, West Maine, was honking. And I I have to confess this. So I thought it'd be awesome to take a photo of this because I wasn't really moving anyways. Meanwhile, a cop pulls up next to me on his motorcycle with a loudspeaker and a microphone. And he's like, put the phone down. <laughs> I thought, who is he screaming at? Turns out he's right next to my window staring at me. And I was like... Yeah, Sorry. that's the worst. <laughs> I was like, I just have never seen a honking like parade in the middle of town. But what I love about summertime is how many of you are doing book clubs, and we're starting to see this now on social media. You're tagging Rebecca, emailing us. But Rhythms of Renewal, Rebecca's book, is such a perfect book to read. And that's what I think people are catching on to is as we've gone through this season, if you didn't have these rhythms in place before this quarantine and before the pandemic. Everybody wants to have rhythms in place heading out of it because it's so important just to establish our mental health. And so one of the things we wanted to do is create a simple way for you to be able to do that with your friends. And so at RebeccaLyons.com, if you go to the store, you'll see that we're providing eight books. Rebecca signs these books for you and your friends. And when you buy eight books, you're going to actually get this Apollos bag, which is awesome. It says Made for Peace on it. It's a beautiful bag. It's perfect to take to the beach maybe on a picnic, take it out with friends, but it's a $70 value and you're going to get that for free when you buy eight books. I'm so excited about today's conversation with Becca Stevens, founder of Thistle Farms. We just go there with her story, how God used pain to become purpose in her life and the things she had to walk through, she now is using as a ministry, as an as a business that's brilliant, honestly. So many women who've come out of hard things are creating the most beautiful products from candles to soaps to even natural bug spray, which I'm using right now. Their products are beautiful and have just become a staple in our home. So listen in now to my conversation with Becca. Hey, Becca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This is as exciting as it gets right now. I love it. Becca and Rebecca (laughs) are having a conversation. I'm such a fan, super fan of your work at Thistle Farms, and I'm excited for this audience to get to know you, to hear your story, just to see all the championing you've done for women over the years. And so if you don't mind, um, can we just jump right in? Absolutely. And I'm a fan as well. So this is going to be easy breezy. So we are talking across town in Nashville. We're not in the same room. We're still trying to figure out this social distancing thing. But I would love for you to just give a little backstory on what led you to the work that you're doing now with Thistle Farms. Just explain a little bit what it is and how you jumped into this 
Uh, you didn't jump into it. I mean, it was a building phenomenon, really, in my opinion. But just tell me how it all began for you. Sure. And I think it really aligns with a lot of what you're about when you talk about both being practical and being loving. And that's really what I wanted in my life, too, is to figure out how can I live my life lovingly in a very practical way. And, you know, I had a a lot of brokenness in my youth, some sexual abuse as a child, all of those things. But I always think I had a heart to really try to reach out and help women who had suffered some of those same things, but on top of it had been criminalized and prostituted and trafficked and addicted and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so it was just made sense to me that if something happened to me and I was coming off the streets or out of prison, I'd really want a beautiful and safe place to go where I had some time to do that healing work. And so in 97, I opened up a house and invited five women to come in and just said, I want this to be your sanctuary. I want you to feel love in every board of this house and everything we're doing. 97, that's the year I got married. So that was a long time ago. (laughs) We're at 22 years, almost 23 in December. So tell me, how old were you when you opened this house? I was, oh Lord, you're going to make me do high math. I was 33 years old. Wow, wow. So were you married at that time? I was. I got married in 88, so I had been married about nine years. I had two children when it opened. When we first, when I first started thinking about it, I just had one child. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it takes a couple years to get a house and get a board and raise some money and not give up. But I still had a husband that was on the road in the music business. I still do. I mean, he was on the road with music, and I was an Episcopal priest, so I had a job. So it took a couple years to kind of just get myself ready. That's how it is on ideas. I think sometimes like the ideas come come to you and they kind of bubble for a couple of years, but then there's another couple of years before it comes to fruition. Right. That's so true. You're still trying to formulate the idea. I think those first couple of years, like, so when did you have an inkling, like you knew you wanted to do something in this? I know, like you said, it would have taken four years from idea to like implementation, but what made you, what was the moment where you were like, this is what I want to do. This is the direction I want to head and how I want to serve other women. What was the The catalyst? The real moment, the real moment came when I was doing a feeding program for women on the street. So I was already ordained an Episcopal priest, already had one baby, pregnant with the second. And I was doing a feeding program and I had my son with me and I got ready to get him in the car. And where the feeding program was, it was underneath this sign that was for the classic cat. It was a strip joint just right across the street in downtown Nashville, you know, from the high school there, Hume Fogg High School. And when I put him in the car seat, he was like arching his back and he was looking up and he, I could not get him in the car seat. And he says, Mama, why is that lady smiling? And it was this woman dressed as a cat hmm. right in front of this building. And I went, oh, my gosh what about someday my son's not going to ask me that? Yeah. Wow. Like this is going to seem normal to him that we do this to women and want them to smile. And so that was the day. I mean, if I had to name a day where I said, I don't care. I don't care what it takes. I don't care if, if I have to give up my job. And for the first 18 years, you know, I never took a salary. I did it all in gratitude for all the mercy I'd known in my own life, you know, from the death of my father and the abuse that I had, I never, I was so grateful for everybody that had helped me get through all that, that I was like, I'm, you know, 
I just want to do this in love. And then the women will know I'm just here, but I'm just doing it because I love them. Mm. But then it grew so big and we started these enterprises and we started having communities around the country and global partners. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is now a full-time huge big job. <laughs> wow. Do you care if we jump back a minute more? I just am always about the story behind the story behind the story. But so <laughs> so growing up, did you have siblings? I did. You I had did. four siblings. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what order were you? I was number four. So my dad died in when I was five years old. So my mom was 35 years old and she had five children by herself. Wow. Was the abuse after that? Yes. So my dad was also an Episcopal minister, and he died just months after he came here to Nashville, Tennessee from New York. And the guy that was one of the elders in the church was the one that started abusing me. I mean, and it went on, Rebecca, for years. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Any of your siblings know, or was that just something you... you know? We do now. And I mean, now, of course, we talk yeah, about I, everything yeah. and, and do all that. But we, we, you know, it's like people say you don't talk about it. But honest to God, I didn't even have the language to talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know those words. And I, I mean, I knew it was something horrible. I knew I was afraid. And, and I did all the things that happen when kids sustain that kind of um, childhood trauma. But I didn't even think about, like, sitting down and talking through it. That never entered my mind. I mean, we were in such a precarious position as a family. Sure. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's it's that violence and vulnerability of poverty. And we just got thrown into poverty. Yeah. yeah and your mom here, she is just trying to put her best foot forward with five kids. I mean, I can't imagine just what that all requires, you know, just having to navigate and that. It takes... It does. And she was so strong and she did the best she could, you know, but you know what it's like to raise a ton of kids. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, she was, she was probably just in her own trauma too. You know, I mean, she died about 25 years ago too. Mm-hmm. So, wow. you know, not all of this has been, I'm still learning so much about it all. Wow. I really am. So then you wanted to become a priest. Like, how old were you when you decided? I mean, I I assume so the abuse lasted a certain amount of time. When did Mm -hmm. that lift? How did you come out of that? Did you just grow up and you were like, wait a minute, this is wrong? Or was there a— I don't know. I don't know. That's the crazy thing is my last memory was in Nolensville, Tennessee, in a barn. No. And Mm -hmm. I was about nine years old, and that is my very last memory. And I don't know if maybe— he moved on. I don't know if there was some fear that he got caught. I have no idea why it stopped, mm. you know, mm. but it did. And, you know, what happens to kids when they go through that, it's like that's just, you know, you kind of get marked in that way or abused in that way, and then you're open to other abuse. Many of the women I serve at Thistle Farms have that same story of like, so he was my first abuser, and then there was, you know, nothing that dramatic afterwards, but definitely, um, you know, sexual misconduct by people in school and places, but it's almost like you're just marked. I can't even explain it. You're just vulnerable out there in the world. Yeah. Well, and I can imagine that you almost are numb at that point. Like there is a sense of going like, this is what I've known for so long. And um, yeah. And the crazy thing is though, Rebecca, honest to God, 
one of the biggest gifts that I have had in my whole life is that when you said, when did I decide to be a pastor or a minister? And it's like, I don't know why, but I never went through any of that stuff that I've heard so many survivors go through, which is so much anger at God. Mm. I mean, my mom taught me as a little child, God loves you. And I never got that confused, like what he was doing with what community was capable of, what love was capable of, what having the presence of God in my life meant to me. That was always my saving grace. Hmm. Wow. And I feel like that it made sense to me that I would want to start a really safe community, that I would want to be able to preach and baptize and bury people in love and make sure people were really safe. Wow. That's that is true. I think what you just said about not harboring bitterness or resentment toward God because the accuser would want that obviously for it to just be something that would shut you down in your faith. And instead, here you decide that you want to become a priest. What what age were you? I mean, did you know that like I'm just like where do you go? How do you go from there to jumping into that. And how old were you? I'm sorry. I'm a context junkie. I know it's annoying. It just no, it helps me make no, sense of I people's stories. <laughs> I love it. So I was a math major in college. I went to the University of South in Sewanee. And the Episcopal Church had started ordaining women when I was in high school. So there were no women pastors, you know, before them in, in our denomination. And when they started ordaining women, I thought, that's what I want to do. Hmm. And by the time I graduated college, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I went to divinity school at Vanderbilt University. Mm-hmm. You know, a year and a half later, I was in school again. And they gave me a full ride. And I met my country music singing husband there. So, really? That's so mm-hmm. fun. So he was at the school as well, not the school of divinity, was he? Or that, yes, really he was he was? Yeah, I say he was pretending to be. He was posing as a theological student. He took like two classes, but he was really a country music writer, which is you know what he has done with his life. But I was, I thought, oh my gosh, how's this going to work? Being two pastors, and then pretty quickly I realized it's like. Oh, he's not even thinking about that. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, you don't usually go to divinity school if you, if you are like have no real like um, expectations. But, you know, I'm sure you have spirited discussions around theology. <laughs> yes. And he really wanted to study scripture and he wanted to study, you know, church history. He wanted to study those things. So it was a really great pairing. And it was also a great gift that he did not want to get ordained. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Oh, I love that. I love that. So then you get married, you have kids pretty quickly or? Mm -hmm. In a couple years, we had had our first baby a couple years later. And about the same time, he um, got a record deal with Columbia Records and he went on the road. And then, you know, I was like doing work on the streets with the women and I was going in and out of the jails and meeting women and and that's when um, I was pregnant with the second one, and we're like, let's go. Let's start this right. thing. And this kind of catches you up to where we began of your son seeing the girl in the cat outfit and asking why she was smiling. If you're looking to reduce unnecessary trips out 
and trying to avoid sold-out grocery items, then check out Sunbasket. It's perfect and delicious solution for the times that we're living in. They deliver healthy meals straight to your door with recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. They make it easy, convenient, with everything pre-portioned, ready to prep, and go. You can enjoy a dinner full of organic produce, clean ingredients, in as little as 15 minutes, which we all need a little less time right now in the kitchen. So right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go right to sunbasket.com life and enter promo code life at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash life and enter promo code life at checkout for $35 off your order. So you decided to invite nine women into this home. Were you, what was the biggest surprise of that like launch that year, that first year? That none of the women relapsed, none of the women wanted to leave, that it was a big love fest, that this model was a really good model of two years free with no authority living in the house and that the women were great survivor leaders Hmm. that they could help establish the community and lead it. It was awesome. I met some of, I mean, Regina Mullins was one of the first five women who became the outreach director that helped hundreds of women come off the streets. She and I still like call each other on Mother's Day because we feel like we grew up as mothers together. Right. So when you invited them, you had gotten to know them at that point, the nine, and then just said, hey, I'm going to start a home. Would you guys want to come? Did you have relationships with them as friends before that began? Or was it cold turkey? Like, hey, I'm, would you want to come? And then Cold sa- turkey. Okay. And so you just had a conversation and invited them and they said yes? Yeah. What happened was, so there were, I was meeting women on the streets and saying, we're going to open this house. I was I had gone into jail, and I learned pretty quickly, if you say the word home, we have this beautiful free home in jail, women start crying. Mm. I mean, there's such a need and such a longing. You know, and this was back before people really understood human trafficking. Right. You know, they weren't understanding that 15-year-old girls addicted on the streets probably had... um, you know, trauma in their youth, and they had a trafficker who was abusing and using them and keeping them addicted. Right. The understanding is much better now. I mean, I just knew from the very beginning, these were my sisters. These were women that I knew had so much potential and had borne great suffering. Wow. Yeah. So immediately we had to cut people off because There was more women that wanted to come than we even had room for when we started. Wow. And we have over 100 women now on the waiting list. Wow. What's your capacity now? We have 30 women who live in the residential program here in Nashville, Tennessee, these small homes. But we have 350 beds now around the country that are part of the network. Wow. And the plan, so I know it took you two years to kind of formulate an idea and two years to get it off the ground. Did you know going in that the like the fundamental idea of this would be a two-year program? Yes. I knew it was going to be a long-term free home because I, what I experienced before was transitional housing wasn't working for people who have never really had a home. Mm, okay. Or halfway houses or treatment centers, what people were longing for, what we all long for 
sanctuary, home, those words resonated with me. So when you say free home, you mean no cost or are you saying? No cost. Okay. So then describe free in other sense of the words. Like what, what does that look like for them coming off of, I think so many women feeling like they have no choice but to do whatever they have to do for money. Um, so to come into an environment where there's a home provision for free, did any of these women have children or a family that would join? What would that look like? So it really looks like, as if you can imagine, it's just any home in the neighborhood. And the home is five or six people living together, creating time for reflection, for accountability, for schedules, for shopping, for chores, creating just a home together. And if a woman has a child, what does that mean for that child to be able to come visit and for all of us to work together so that eventually when she is you know, stable and right with the courts and strong in her recovery and able to financially provide herself to get custody of her child back. Mm, Yeah. You know, so Mm. it's an individualized program. I mean, we have common rules that we live by and discipline, but it's really individualized for each woman coming in. Yeah. I think what I'm kind of getting at here, I love that, is... For, for people who feel like they've never had agency to make decisions for themselves. So if they were to come in this environment, is there a very structured schedule already there in place? Like this is the program, this is what it looks like. Do they speak into that? I mean, because I mean, you guys have a whole online, you have all these resources and products and materials, so you're providing jobs for them. So what does that look like? Well, for sure they know that now, but the women help build it all. You know, as the program went on, the leadership of the program is, is is you know, completely intertwined with the women who have come through and then led the program. The idea is that people, those of us who are so grateful for what we've had in our lives need to reach back and feel like we're doing ministry and helping other people. I mean, that's part of the motivation for this and for everything that we do. And so the women are part of that. They have agency, but they're also have this longing to have their life have meaning and depth and to heal other people. So, you know, all this, we do have structure, but a lot of that was built by the women themselves who have come through the program and said, this is what we need. And we also have an amazing group of professionals that help us you know, that social workers and um, psychiatric nurse practitioners and trauma care specialists and group leaders. And we have all of that. We're all thinking a lot about our health these days. And when you experience any type of health care need, especially when you're feeling isolated and alone, it can affect you emotionally and spiritually as well as physically. That's why Samaritan's Ministries is such an important partner to you as you think about your health care needs. They connect you with other members who come alongside you, not only financially to support your medical needs, but also through prayer and encouragement. Rebecca and I have been a part of a sharing ministry like this for many years, and it's been a wonderful experience to know that we're not only meeting the needs of other people, but we're all in this together. Recently, our community, our workplace, maybe even our healthcare need has changed, but as Christians, we know that God remains the same. He's faithful, loving, and trustworthy. So be encouraged, for we're reminded in Romans 15, that the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. 
Learn more at SamaritanMinistries.org slash RFL podcast. That's SamaritanMinistries.org slash RFL podcast. I love so much that you talked about the meaning, right? Because our pain does become purpose and there is something so meaningful about giving back to people who are walking through the same things or similar things that you have walked. And so let's jump into the mission of Thistle Farms. What does that look like then for these women today? What kind of resources did you guys provide? What made you decide to go down the track of candles and natural ingredients and oils and all that? Like, where did that all begin? So that began when, like I said, many of the women had been on the street since they were teenagers and they had nothing on their resume except blank spaces and prison time. And so they didn't have the job skills. They weren't good hires. You know, it just was not working. And so we said, let's just start our own company. And because every woman I had met had been raped, what I wanted to do was make products that were really healing for the body and reminding us that our bodies are created by God, that they're beautiful, that they're worthy, all of these things. And so we started with just making all natural healing products. We were using some of the recipes from um, Exodus in the Bible. We were using just basic lavender, just stuff that was about peace and calm, all of that. And it was really lavish for our bodies. And we started making it into a body balm. And then we, because that's a very easy recipe. And then we realized that we should also make candles to go along with it. If we're having this experience of peace and love, that we want to have this candle that could also go along with the body bomb. So we did it. And we realized that our practice was going to be, we're going to light this candle every day for the woman who is still on the street and the woman trying to find her way home. Wow. I cannot go on enough. Like if if podcasts had a sense of smell, I wish <laughs> that every listener could literally inhale your candles. Right now, I have been burning them in my home for years, and they are exactly as you describe um, your oils, your essential oils, the body scrubs, the body oils, the body balm. What is you said? It's an easy ingredient. What what's in body balm? Oh, body balm is like, you know, you have olive oil, a little bit of beeswax, some essential oils. You could put some cocoa butter in it. And it's just, it's just what your body is so hungry for, especially, you know, throughout the winter months. Or if you go in pools or a lot of showers, it's like you put this body balm on and it's like, I don't have itchy, dry skin. I have rich good smelling skin. And I just heard something today that really struck me about how in this time of social distancing, lavishing your body and rubbing oils on your body, that it helps helps you mentally um, with just being present and in touch with yourself because we're lacking so much human contact. Right. I love that you mentioned that you used ingredients that you found in the Bible. Let's dig into that a little bit. So if you were to look at calm, that ingredient is lavender, correct? Right. Okay. And it's relative of the spicknard. So when somebody has like a jar of nard, mm-hmm. you know, what they have is is like the cousin of lavender along with olive oil. Okay. Pure nard. You remember that story? 
No, please remind the me. Woman, the woman has a jar of pure nard in an, like an alabaster jar or whatever. Yes. But the idea is that, that you have something that's so precious um, and so beautiful. And you think about the um, oils that the wise man brought. That has some peaceful oil in it too, but it's also really good for women in childbirth, which is myrrh. Right. Yes. Okay. So let's go back to nard for a second because I haven't thought through that word. So you're saying the woman who broke the bottle on Jesus' feet and washed with her hair, is that the story you're referring to? Yes. That's the nard. That's the nard. Okay. See, well, I would then, not have but connected I'm to that. Go on. There's 425 scriptures about oils in the Bible. Wow. I mean, I know there are a lot. I would have never thought that many. And all those oils can be translated to oils that are used now correct? Yes. Yes. Because this is all just oils that are come straight from creation so that they're present with us now. And it's what I love is that from Jesus's birth until Jesus's death, oils are present. When you think about Nicodemus taking him down from the cross, what he brings with him are oils and herbs to anoint his body. And when the wise men came, they brought oil. And when they prepared him for burial. When Mary was preparing him for burial, they used oil. It's like all through it, the story is this idea that um, the oils that you find all around us in the trees mm-hmm. and in the plants, and if you, you know, like, when you read the very first page of scripture, there's the story of the tree of life mm-hmm. in this vision of a garden. And then if you go to the very last page of scripture, there's a vision of the kingdom with the city of God, with a river running through it. And either side of the river, there are the trees of life again, whose leaves are made for the healing of the world, which is oils or teas or what. I mean, but it's like it runs through the whole creation. It runs through Jesus's life. It's this idea that everything around us, if we treat it with respect and love, people, plants our planet you know just they they it gives and it's a healing process yes i just read that verse this weekend in revelation oh. 22 i believe at the very yes. end yes and i was like okay so trees cuz i was in israel a few years ago and i remember our rabbinical guide he was one of the uh few families like of seven or eight families that was there when israel was formed as a state in 48 like his family started a a kibbutz And so anyways, he took us all around and he talked about how that river would flow from the throne to the Dead Sea. And he said that it would take what was dead and and it would be teeming with life because the river would flow into the Dead Sea and change all of that in in the redeemed place. And I just... Oh my gosh. Isn't that insane? Oh, that Uh, is so beautiful. I know. I know. I was like, and mic drop. (laughs) And the Bible is done. (laughs) And the vision is done. But, um, But I... I love that you're bringing that up because, you know, there's a lot of faith out there and science out there on what is what does the body need, what is good for the body. And I think um, so often we as people of God are going back to the scriptures and going back to what is natural and going back to what is given to us through creation. And especially in this season, I mean, I know a lot of my friends are in the gardening phase, that we are all just... 
I mean, we have a, you know, a little bit of woods and Gabe's like had a speaker at Q a couple of weeks on foraging the forest <laughs> and just like paying attention to what is around us, what is granted as a gift, even when we weren't even looking for it. I was weeding uh, in my backyard and all of a sudden I noticed there was a long vine with a bunch of strawberries on it that I did not plant. <laughs> and I was oh. like, what? I couldn't keep a strawberry plant alive if my life depended on it if I were to plan it. And then here it is waiting for me. I was like on a high for 24 hours. I was like, I cannot believe that there's a strawberry plant. I hope it's a strawberry. It looks like a strawberry. Um, They were still small, but there were a bunch of like actual berries on it already as of a couple weeks ago. And how kind of God, right, to create us and create nature and creation and all of it. And then create, obviously, because everything's congruent, He would have His nature and creation nourish us. Um, so that we would depend, and then creation would depend on us to cultivate it and help nurture it and develop it. It's like this give and take relationship that really he had appointed from the beginning. Absolutely. And I just wanted to say in there, I think what happens for some people is that over generations we forget and we have to remind each other all the time. And that I think what we get intimidated and we get scared of it. So I think especially like people think with oils, it's like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. And it's like, you just put a little essential oil with some olive oil or jojoba oil or whatever carrier oil it is, and you can have fun with it. It's not so serious. Like it can be as joyous as romping around in the woods and finding wild plants. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing. This is huge for those of you who are new to Becca Stevens or Thistle Farms, please, please check out her stuff. You definitely have um, a natural bug spray that I think most moms, if you're like me, you need to have on hand. We are heading into that time of year. <laughs> and I you would can feel good about it. Yes. yes. Non-toxic organic bug spray. So please check that out. The candles are lovely, all the oils. Check out the work that these women are doing. It's beautiful. It's incredible. Becca, thank you for doing this. Thank you for following the call of God and just creating something that didn't exist before and creating a a haven for these women to walk through. And then, I mean, I can't imagine the purpose and the significance so many of them carry now. Like what was stolen has been returned to them the dignity and the strength that they carry by creating just such an incredible organization with beautiful offerings. Like I can't go on and on and on. I I just could gush about the products, the beauty, just the excellence with which you do everything. Thank you so much for doing this. It is my joy and it is a big gift to get to talk to you. Much, much love to you. Thank you, Becca. Have a great day. You too. I just loved hearing Becca's story and just, I think for everybody listening, the encouraging part is to just realize that no matter what our past is, that there's some way God can redeem that if we just have a vision for it and if we'll have the courage to walk into it, which isn't easy. There's a lot of people in our world that the response to what Becca went through could have been more victimhood and her response has been, I'm going to actually not only live free, I'm going to create space for more people to experience freedom. So I hope you enjoyed this. Please continue to invite your friends to just be a part of this community as we continue listening and learning together. And don't forget, there's the summer special. If you go to RebeccaLyons.com, you get eight books signed by Rebecca to start your book club and to get your friends engaging this Rhythms conversation. And we're going to get you a free Apollos bag that's worth $70. So I hope you'll take advantage of that, and I hope you have a wonderful beginning to your summer.